0: And welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with a career coach whose focus is to help you build the confidence, skills and strategies you need to enjoy a successful and satisfying career within your current role. An expert in job hopping and how the grass is rarely greener, she now dedicates her time to help you find what you're looking for within your career. But that more confidence, satisfaction, and solid progression strategy are simply less stressed day to day. Works with mid-level professionals destined to become the next generation of leaders. With the mission of transforming the stereotypical corporate hustle culture from the ground up to make the future norm of work people-driven, exciting and rewarding for all. On our podcast today, we'll be chatting about corporate culture and lots more. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Charlotte Crabtree.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here.
0: No, you're more than welcome. So tell me this, Charlotte. I didn't say this before the uh, the podcast started. So where did the surname Crabtree come from? am I'm I'm, I'm I'm amazed. Where does, it, where does it originate from?
1: Oh, I, I I wish I knew the answer to that. Okay. I've researched
0: it. I don't think anyone's
1: ever asked me that before.
0: I want to catch you on the hop. That's what I try to do sometimes. So, okay, we, we'll, we'll find that find later on. We'll Google that somewhere. So we're yeah. here right now on Planet Earth. And what is the weather like?
1: I am, in the UK, I'm on the south coast in Portsmouth. Um, and actually, for the first time in... Weeks and weeks and weeks. It is a beautiful day. It's been such a long time. I don't know about you. It's been such a long time of wind and rain and the sun will come out for five minutes, but not long enough to take your jumper off or go for a walk. It's been horrible. And today is the first day that it really feels like summer. So I'm really excited and just hoping that it will last.
0: Right. And there's no sailors around, is there?
1: (laughs) Not where I am, no. Not in my back garden. I can see. <laughs>
0: no, okay, just just check. But generally, for a listener, because uh, in different countries around the world, but Portsmouth is renowned, isn't it? For is it the ships are generally there, isn't it? From the the uh, the the sailing part of it in the UK.
1: Yeah, we do have a really big uh, naval base here. We've got the two um, big aircraft carriers in at the moment. So we've got the Queen Elizabeth and the Prince of Wales, which kind of pride and joy of the of the local community.
0: Right. And do do they stroll around the town or the city?
1: Um the sailors they may do, but not in uniform. Oh dear.
0: Oh, dear.
1: Oh, dear. So they're very undercover.
0: Oh dear. Okay, right. So I pretty much i bore the listeners with my voice enough. So can you tell the listeners a bit more about your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I um, as you know, I'm a career coach. I um have come up through the pharmaceutical events and medical communications industries. So I originally did um, an event management degree at university and so started my career in kind of the standard entry-level project coordinator role doing um, delegate management work and kind of worked my way up through the ranks through project managing, account managing um, and eventually into operations management roles. So I've worked for big companies, small companies, medium-sized companies and I it took me a really long time to really kind of settle and find my feet and find my stride if you like and what i was always finding in kind of my earlier years was that no one really prepares you for for the reality of the working world so you get taught all the all your lessons in school and all the theories at university and then you go into the working world and you have no idea really how to engage with people on a professional level or what's expected of you or what boundaries there are and not necessarily how to conduct yourself because we all have, you know, a, a base level of, of manners and social graces. But, you know, when it's okay to say no and when it's a good idea to, to push yourself that little bit harder and things like that. So my career path to date has been... Um, you know, my first couple of jobs, I would stay there for a year or so and then think, oh, well, it, you know, I, I don't like my boss or, you know, I, I'm not getting to do what I want or there's no opportunities for me here. And then I would move somewhere else. And it really took me a long time to realise that actually it's all within me. It was all within my control, how I was showing up and what I was getting out of my career. And once I figured that out, it really enabled me to change essentially everything in my life. Um, so I had one of those moments in life that I'm sure everyone has at some point. I called it a quarter life crisis at the time. And what's it called? A quarter life crisis. Quarter life crisis.
0: Okay. I was about
1: twenty five at the time. <laughs> <laughs> quarter life crisis. Okay. <laughs> but I was in I was in this stage of of work where. I was going to work all day, hating it and being stressed all day or being frustrated with other people or having difficult conversations with clients or struggling to get my work done because I was being interrupted all the time. So generally going home every day, feeling frustrated and unsatisfied and exhausted and then sitting in front of the TV all evening with a partner that I didn't really get along with very much, very well.
0: Oh dear. And okay. one day
1: I just <laughs> I mean as you do we have these oh relationships. Okay. But I just I just realized I just thought is this it? Is this what my life is going to be like now and and I would be thinking, you know, well, what's next? Should I be trying to get a promotion? Should we be getting married? Should we be having babies? All the shoulds that come up. Right. And thinking, well, I don't know if I really want that. With where I am right now. And I think there's more for me, and I was built for more, and I want to do more and, you know, have more. And so I basically uprooted my entire life. Um, But the one thing that I didn't change was my job. So I um, left my partner, I moved home back in with my parents, um, but I stayed at my job and really worked on changing what it was for me. And rather than continuing in this same pattern that I'd been in for such a long time, I started thinking, well, actually, I'm bringing a lot more to the table than I'm being recognised for. And I've actually got a real skill set when it comes to looking after my team and things like that. So I started having conversations about opportunities to develop what I was good at and what I wanted to get out of it. Um, And yeah, everything really changed from there. I ended up negotiating something like a 15K pay rise in one go. And I went from managing a team of two to a team of 16 and things just kind of snowballed. And then I really realized that, you know, looking after the team and and supporting them with, with things that they were finding challenging, like I was, you know, not so long ago, was really, really rewarding for me really fulfilling um and that's when I got into coaching and here we are a couple of years later
0: (laughs) all right okay can I ask I mean just briefly what was it like moving back in with the parents I mean had it been a long time I mean that's a big decision had it been a long time since you had to live with them and did you find all of a sudden it was a bit of a culture shock as well
1: it was definitely a transition but actually I felt really like I was Coming home in more than just a logistical sense. I'd been away from home since I went to university, and you know when you go to university and you you have your first year in one house and your second year in another house, possibly with different people and so on. And so I'd moved house so many times and lived with so many different kinds of people. And where I was with my partner was in um, a different city. It was about an hour away, so my commute actually went up from ten minutes to like an hour and a half. But yeah the the feeling of homecoming was so reassuring and I felt like I had safety and security for for a basis of of everything else um, so yes there are always tricky dynamics when you're moving back in with your parents yeah. um, but no I'm very lucky that I do have a great relationship with them um, and they have a reasonable sized house. So we weren't quite under each other's feet all the time. So um, no, it was um, it was definitely the right move for me at the time.
0: I'm sure they were delighted. I'm <laughs> sure they were. What, what's their name? Do you want to say hello to them?
1: Oh, yeah, Zena and Peter.
0: <laughs> hello, Zena and Peter. Hi, Mum and
1: Dad. <laughs> hello.
0: They didn't expect to get a, a little shout out, but I want to ask them, um, when is a dentist? So two, two questions I want to ask her, because you've mentioned there. Um, before we move on, the quarter life crisis. So at what point did you kind of say, what was that kind of moment when you said like enough was enough? Was it, did you wake up one morning and, or was it like another trigger event that said, right, I'm, I'm going to get myself sorted here and and make myself happy and and get rid of this burnout feeling I'm having? What, what Was there a certain point?
1: I don't think there must have been a, a, a very specific trigger because I'm not it's there's nothing specific that's coming to mind but I just remember being in this rut and I think I think I was actually probably watching like a rom-com like a romantic comedy film just like a chick flick all right and they which have one was a, it
0: was it a
1: proposal <laughs> oh that I definitely can't remember <laughs> probably twilight or something like something oh. with like big movie love oh. <laughs> and i remember thinking to myself i want movie love i want to be the heroine of the story i want this passion and this excitement and this adventure and i can't see anywhere in my life right now where i'm going to get that i don't see where that's going to be coming from And I just realized that the only way I ever had a shot of movie love, of excitement, of adventure, (laughs) was if I went out and got it.
0: Right.
1: And I think this is where a lot of people that kind of begin a personal development journey will have a similar moment, whether it's something that builds up over time, something that happens dramatically, something that happens to you, or whether you're just watching a film. But this realization that there is more And you can have it but then secondly that you deserve it
0: say then charlotte like you mentioned as well i'm not pinpointing you mentioned this and pinging that but when is a good time then to say no so say for example you're in this career and you you have reached a certain amount of burnout or you're kind of fed up and it's so competitive in the career world depending on the company that you're actually working for and we're going to lead on to this later on with regards to corporate organizations or corporate culture well can you say no? I mean, how do you say no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the 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 best way that you can approach these things is by setting boundaries from the word go. So starting, if you start in a new job, something that I find really, really empowering and really positive as a kind of setting yourself up for success is to actually have conversations with your manager about setting expectations and setting boundaries but really understanding what your limitations are what's a non-negotiable for you how much overtime are you prepared to work and how much is too much because everyone is a little bit different and situations change and circumstances change particularly working in the events world when you're delivering on a live project the run-up is a lot more intense and a lot more labor heavy than the rest of the time so in theory there should be times of you know peaks and troughs of workload so kind of taking those things into account but there are there's always a level of non-negotiable this is enough now but what you have to remember is that when you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. So if you say no to an extra task or an extra project or um, staying late or an extra meeting, you're saying yes to more focused, dedicated time to what you're already working on so you can do a better job. Or you're saying yes to taking care of yourself, getting a good night's sleep, filling your cup in, in other ways, so that you can bring your full energy to your job because ultimately what's going to get you promoted is doing your job really well it's not going to be trying to do everything that everybody asks you to and being all things to all people and I think that's one of those things that is a very blurred line and it's very unclear and it goes back to what they don't teach you at school yeah is what's What is an opportunity and what is somebody just seeing what they can get out of you?
0: Is, I mean, we always hear this statement that, you know, my office door is always opened.
1: Mm. But
0: is it always opened? Like, do bosses want their staff coming in to say hello and kind of, you know, put put across their suggestions or opinions or, as you've mentioned, boundaries? Or is it just specific then? To the type of organisation or company that you work for,
1: I think it's definitely different in different companies. But what I would say is, if they put it out there, take it. Right. And I think when it comes to um, when it comes to things like that, we we always assume the worst. We assume that we're not good enough. We assume that people don't have time for us. We assume that people don't want to help us or don't have capacity. And we assume that when somebody's asking something of us, that they need it without actually checking the facts. And so, when it comes to things like open door policies and suggestions and things like that, if your boss is saying my door is always open, go through it. Go right. and have a conversation with them because you'll never know. You'll never know. And and realistically, there are there are a lot of organisations out there that have the culture on paper and they don't follow through. And the, the reality is that you are the culture. The culture is the community, the, the employees, the staff, the teams, the people. And so when a company is laying a culture on paper, so whether that's an open door policy, a suggestion box, um, welcoming ideas, um, regular reviews, uh, peer feedback, anything like that, a lot of the time, um, that that's it's the result that they want people want the outcome of having a culture like that but they either don't want to or aren't equipped to put in what's needed to create it right so this is where I I focus on working with mid-level professionals rather than people that are already in the c-suite because empowering the community and the people in the ranks at the moment to step up for themselves and say, well, actually that policy is there. So I'm gonna take advantage of it. I have an idea, there's an opportunity for me to share it. So I'm going to do so because my my suggestion, my opinion, my contribution matters. It's empowering those people to to create the culture and drive it themselves. And then as they grow within, within the company or within their career, they will then become those leaders that set the culture and lead by example.
0: Can I ask then, Charlotte, um, kind of like to simplify it, what is, what is a corporate organisation and what is corporate culture? Are they the same thing or are they different?
1: See, that's an interesting question. And I would love to understand your definition of corporate organisation in that context.
0: I think corporate organization, from where I'm coming from, I'm not going to name and shame these organizations, but <laughs> I'd I'd see them um, without investigating too much. But like I'd look around and maybe some big mobile phone kind of operators or sellers yeah. that most people have, mm. um, and that would just, I that's what I'd regard as an organization or corporate or maybe somebody that you go and get your coffee most days around. Mm-hmm. Nearly every corner, and um, as the core as the organization, or and then within that organization, I wouldn't be as expert opinion as you, but the culture is pretty much based on that. So, whether it's either you know, you're a workaholic, um, is it an aggressive culture? Is it a pleasant culture environment? Um, do they care about their staff? Do they care about each other? That's the way I probably see it as a. Does
1: that make mm. sense? Yes, <laughs> definitely.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Am
1: I newly there? Did I do it? <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I, I would say that organi- an organization, or, you know, I mean, a corporation is obviously a, a legal um, status, as it were. But, but any organization, whether that's, you know, a, um, an independent solopreneur who employs one person or um, a gigantic corporation that employs millions of people globally.
0: Yeah,
1: they are all organizations, and they all have their own cultures. So culture is—it's more than um, what's written on a piece of paper. It's more than a mission statement. It's—it's it's reality, and it, and it's something that you you won't necessarily see, but you just know. So when you say about um, culture being a nice place to work or full of workaholics that's absolutely an example of culture but it goes it goes deeper than that it's about what the community of people within that organization value what drives them what is their behavior so how do they treat each other how do they treat themselves how do they organize and manage their time in a way that contributes to the company so, do they have, for example, policies um, policies really influence culture. So some companies have policies around meetings where you can only have meetings of twenty or forty five minutes so that there's always a break between the next one, or you can only have meetings Tuesday to Thursday so that on Mondays and Fridays people have time to either you know take time off or um concentrate on their work and things like that. And policies like that really, breed um, breed culture in terms of the way that people treat each other, like respecting each other's time and things like that. Um, But culture also shows up in in behaviours in the way that people, you know, talk to each other. So when you have a meeting, if there is an intern and somebody in the C-suite in the same room, do they both have equal opportunities to contribute to the conversation? And are their contributions equally acknowledged and discussed and appreciated and things like that but like I say the culture really is it comes from the people and from the community so you can embrace these policies and you can consider the values that are behind them so does the company value innovation does it value kindness does it value integrity and employ those values into your behaviors and how you show up at work and how you interact with other people because if everybody is employing the same culture then it really shouldn't matter what level you are or what experience you have because you all belong there together
0: can i ask her what what is this what what is c-suite
1: Oh, I'm sorry. So, um, C-suite, C-level is um, people with C titles, so CEO, CMO, CFO, or the the ah. chief executive officer, that that kind of level. So board level, essentially.
0: All oh, right, the the high earners, will we call them exactly. that?
1: <laughs> you can call them that.
0: <laughs> the ones with the car park spot. Yeah, that's. that's yes. That's
1: cool.
0: I mean, is it just all? Is it just all fancy branding, in terms of? I, I mean, from my, my side, I kind of look at it sometimes and I think this is what they say they're going to do, but they don't actually do that. Is it just fancy branding sometimes? You can get sucked in to believing an image of a company that you've seen on a daily basis, whether it be on TV advertising or uh, sponsorship ads, that you, you kind of build up this picture that this is a company that you want to work for. But is it necessarily, in your experience, does it turn out that way?
1: I think, again, it definitely depends. It wouldn't be fair to, you know, tar all big organisations with the same brush. There are cool. obviously organisations cool. out there who um, who set these policies um, and write out what they want their culture to be and then don't don't, you know, do the work to follow through and make sure that it's happening. Unfortunately, that happens, but those are the companies that end up with higher turnover, like people don't stay there people do leave thinking the grass is greener right but likewise if they have those policies in place if everybody embodied them it would make that difference and it only takes you know one person to show a bit of kindness to the people around them one person to have that belief in themselves that they're going to keep showing up and keep asking questions and keep contributing and keep pushing themselves and keep asking for more opportunity or for a promotion to inspire other people to do the same. So culture absolutely changes from within. Having said that, I know there are also a huge number of companies that really do have a wonderful corporate culture. and I think it's difficult when you see these big companies, companies that you see as successful um, on the TV adverts and things like that. It's It makes them desirable because yeah. it seems like there is a world of opportunity there. It would be, you know, a job that you would take pride in to work for a household name. So some people take it and it's a bit of a gamble some people will go for a company that have the reputation and hope for the culture but it depends what you want to get out of it and I think that's really important to reflect on when you're thinking about changing jobs or if you're starting out in your career thinking about where you want to work or thinking about where you do work is is really reflecting on what you want from your career and what success looks like to you so If you want to be the CEO with your own parking space at a global company that's a household (laughs) name, if that in itself will make you happy and the money that will go with that will make you happy, then maybe you can compromise on what the culture is around you.
0: Is the grass always greener or are you better to try and research about a company before you make the move?
1: I would say the grass is rarely greener. definitely always research a company before um, before you apply for a job. There are lots of um, lots of resources out there, and um, Glassdoor is one where you can look at company reviews from employees um, you can get information from things like LinkedIn um, so definitely definitely do your research if you're looking for a new job um, but in terms of changing job, I have Job hopped a number of times, assuming that the grass would be greener, assuming that the problems or challenges that I was facing at the time were because of the company. You know, it was because of my boss, or it was because, you know, everyone else is so stressed, or it's because they haven't got enough resource That's a huge one. When you're overwhelmed and there's too much work to do, and you feel like the company are just refusing to hire more people, so you go somewhere else thinking it will be easier, it's very rarely any different. And I think that is where it's so important to do the work on yourself first. If you're applying for a job from a place of strength and confidence and looking for something new and looking for a new opportunity and being ready for more, it's a very, very different scenario than applying for a job from a place of essentially desperation just wanting to get away from your current reality so really thinking about what it is that you want what it is that's difficult right now how much of that is within your control how much of that are you making assumptions about and what are your options to turn things around for yourself from where you are right now because changing job isn't the only option that you have
0: is job hopping a is that is that a good term job hopping is there a more modern term is there or can I still say that
1: (laughs) I don't I don't know if there's a more modern
0: term (laughs) because the reason I ask is everything's changing these days anyway every word you say I know (laughs) sure people
1: understand what we're talking about
0: (laughs) hopping jobs Um, and is it good to and there's probably two trains of thought for this because I I do speak to a lot of friends that I have one or two friends out there I can assure you um but I I they they say sometimes that it's not good to job hop because your future employers won't be too impressed with your CV and then if you don't job hop and you're with a company for 20 years say for example 25 years that shows that you, you really haven't ventured out or experienced any other type of company or industry what's your opinion on that job hopping good or job hopping so-so
1: um <laughs> I feel like you must be getting really frustrated with my answers because my answer is always it depends
0: oh go ahead
1: (laughs) but it really it really does depend they're both very valid um observations so if you are if you are in a job if you're if you're applying for a job and your CV says you know you've had six jobs in the past year it's very likely that your employer would think oh well I wonder why that is. And if the reason that you've been changing jobs so frequently is because you couldn't settle, you didn't get on there, you didn't like it, it's very difficult to explain and turn that into a positive. But that's not to say that you can't take short-term contracts, you can't take new opportunities that give you different experiences because those really do add a lot to your bow and help you to kind of form you know the the personal brand that you want to be, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, we're going to talk about this in a little while. This this personal brand, I've heard this quite a lot now, and it's it's uh, you're going to have to tell me a little bit more about that.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, no problem. Okay. Um, so uh, then, on the other side, you know, people that have been in a job for twenty five years or so, y- yes, it it might look as though they haven't stretched themselves, but. I think when you're applying for a job, there is a way of presenting your experience in a way that favors what you're going to bring to the company. So if you've been in a job for 25 years, that doesn't mean that you haven't tried new things or looked for new opportunities or pushed yourself or upskilled. It just means that you've stayed in one company. So I think the most important thing to to base your decisions on when it comes to changing jobs or staying in a job is really what you're going to get out of it so like I said moving from from a place of confidence and wanting more opportunities versus I just don't like it here this just isn't working for me and I think if you're if you're making decisions from that basis it's much easier to sell yourself when you're applying for a new job
0: the The honesty thing on an interview when you answer a question, um I know we're trying to you're trying to sell yourself and uh the branding part of it, but do you be honest with your answers, or do you twist the answer a little bit to kind of make it into a positive?
1: I always say honesty is the best policy, so I would never recommend that somebody be dishonest with um mainly with something that would influence. Um, their position in in a new role there are definitely ways of presenting information in a more favorable light so for example one of the classic interview questions is what is your weakness what's your biggest weakness so you're not going to sit there and say oh I'm terrible at time management but you might sit there and say I've I've struggled in the past with balancing priorities. However, I've done a lot of work on that now and it's something that I'm in control of for the future. So there's a way of spinning things to show what you've worked on and your, um, your values and what drives you and what you can bring to the table without making yourself look bad, even if it's something that on paper might not be desirable.
0: What about good cop, bad cop? Is it better to have two bad cops than a good cop the reason I ask is because sometimes with the good cop you begin to tell the good cop your life story mm. and then sometimes that can get you into trouble and then but with the bad cop you kind of keep your guard up a little bit and you don't mm. really show your full self what What would you suggest when you have the overly friendly interviewer
1: that's really interesting really interesting question and I think there's an element of preparing yourself with your boundaries before you go into an interview. So when you, when you're at work, you have to remember that it's a professional relationship and there are lots of companies out there that will say, Oh, we're a big family. They're not your family. And I think that's really important to remember. So even if the good cop interviewer is being super friendly and asking you, you know what you have for dinner last night and like, How many boyfriends have you had or whatever they might be asking you? It's important to remember that there is a professional line and actually even the good cop might be testing you in that way. So whether, regardless of, of how friendly they're being or how much they're asking you, just have that boundary for yourself of how much you want to share with your company. And I think it's important to be open to a point because you you need to fit in on a personality level so a lot of the time people will say you know if it's a two-stage interview the first one is competency and the second one is personality so in the first interview they'll talk to you about your skills and your experience and then the second one they'll be more informal because they're trying to gauge whether you would fit into the team on a personality basis so it's important to be yourself um it's really helpful if you can relax but not giving too much information that you wouldn't want to give to a company.
0: The thing with regards to the family, right? Mm. And you hear sometimes, you know, companies, as as you mentioned there, you know, you're part of the family or welcome to the family or is it best to kind of lower your expectations and realize that you never will be part of the family and just go in and do your job?
1: In a word, yes, would be my answer. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, at the end of the day, You want to be working in a company. You spend around a third of your life at work, right? So it is important that it's an environment that you're happy in and you feel welcome and you feel like you belong. But you are replaceable. And um, a a really probably crude example of this is um, in all all of my events jobs, we always have um, what we refer to as a Bible, which is essentially a manual for the event. And as you, as you build and you prepare and you plan everything and you gather all of the information and all of your contracts and all of the documentation, you gather it all together in this Bible so that when you go on site, essentially the line would be, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, somebody else could pick up the Bible and run the event for you, which (laughs) it's savage. It's absolutely savage. And thankfully it's never happened to me or anyone that I know but the reality is that one day you might not be there anymore and the company is not going to stop and i think as long as it, as long as you're in a company where it's more than just you that is the case they would they would replace you they would find a way to carry on and it's funny because i think um for a lot of people, a lot of people find it really hard to switch off when they go on holiday, for example, because they will worry about the amount of work that they're going to be coming back to, people will still be sending them things. And then when they get back, their inbox will be absolutely overflowing. And it will take them twice as long to catch up. And they'll almost wish that they never had the holiday in the first place. But the the other side of that is people not wanting to take holiday because they worry that, by the time they get back, people will realise that they don't need them anymore. And, and one of the biggest kind of shame triggers, and Brene Brown talks about this a lot in her work, one of the biggest shame triggers in work, in our working lives, is the fear of um, irrelevance.
0: I, 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 I'm very interested in this. Um, is it professional branding you call it or personal branding? Is that what Personal it's called? branding, yeah. So personal branding. Are we talking about LinkedIn here and stuff like this? Where you, you kind of you sell yourself to a global audience, hoping that recruiters or employers will 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 see you. Because what I want to ask you, you know, I, I, for me personally, sometimes when I've looked at LinkedIn in the past as an example per se, and you know the the person would say that background, in many years they worked for a certain job or company. What their hobbies are and what their interests are, and then you start seeing posts of my kit, my cat had kittens, and my dog had puppies, and, and we're all delighted. And is this the norm now? Is it? Is this how you sell yourself to be different from somebody else? Is this what companies want?
1: LinkedIn is definitely it's definitely a different um, environment than it was a few years ago. People are sharing a lot more personal stuff on there. Um, But I when it comes to a personal brand, it's not it's not just about, you know, picking a color and making your LinkedIn profile look pretty and having a nice background picture and things like that it's not it's not necessarily about updating your cv and 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 advertising yourself or selling yourself as it were but it's the brand that you represent how do you show up what do you like as a person as an employee so when it comes to what you post for example on linkedin are you you know, posting things that are inspirational or motivational, or are you making educated comments on other people's posts within your industry? Are you supportive of other people? Um, And are you bringing a bit of personality? So yeah, when people are posting, you know, something really serious one day, and then a picture of their cat the next day, I think LinkedIn, as a platform has evolved into something a lot more social than it used to be um it's a love story
0: that's... now isn't it Charlotte
1: it's say that again it's a
0: love story it's <laughs> like, like you watching your, your twilight movie it's turned in, it's turned into a love story sorry I just yeah. had to say that sorry.
1: <laughs> no absolutely <laughs> <laughs> no it's I mean it's a much friendlier place to be than it used to be mm-hmm for sure it's much more of a a social networking tool than it used to be so it is still a huge resource for um recruitment also for learning and personal development there's courses on there now and things like that but it's a lot more of a community so people are supportive of there's a lot of talk about um mental health which is brilliant people opening up a lot more about their own struggles and things like that and, and sharing support um so yeah, I think when it comes to a personal brand, and it's not just on LinkedIn either, it's it's really how you show up every day at work, at home. It's who are you? What do you bring to the table? What makes you special? What's different about you? Why do people like you? And not to make people like you, but show people why they do, why they already do. So I was um working with a client recently um on her personal brand and um we kind of came up with all these different words you know positivity and innovation and things like that and she said i just want people to see me as a ray of sunshine and then we laughed about how um cringy she felt saying that which was hilarious
0: (laughs) a ray of sunshine
1: okay but it's fine you know and i said you know this it's This doesn't go outside of this conversation. Obviously, we're talking about it now, but you don't know who she is, so it's okay. But the point is, when she visualizes herself at her most comfortable, showing up in the way that she wants to at work, building the relationships the way that she wants to at work and engaging with people in a really a way that feels really good to her, she pictures a ray of sunshine. And so the work that we did was talking about how can, how can you curate that feeling and that vision in everything that you do? So when you're showing up to a meeting, what, what behaviours do you do? What do you say to yourself first? How do you talk to people? And it really comes down to being yourself and understanding who you are and embracing who you are and then bringing that to work In within those kind of professional boundaries so that you feel like yourself you don't want to be putting yourself through essentially emotional labor every day pretending to like everyone or pretending to love your job you want to be yourself feel like yourself and enjoy what you're doing so that you're not absolutely draining all of your energy and then going home and having nothing left so um really kind of People talk about, now about, we talk, were talking about, you know, what's the latest word? People don't talk about work-life balance anymore. They talk about work-life integration. And I think that's a really good example.
0: What's that? Is it, it's, I mean, in general, uh, the differences between the work-life balance and integration are the same or just a new fancy word.
1: it's kind of an evolution (laughs) of the word so I mean work-life balance traditionally you would think about having time at work and time at home and they're totally separate but the reality for a lot of people now is that they do work that they're passionate about or they spend more time at work or they make friends at work that they then see outside of work and so the lines aren't so um clear as they used to be so it's more about and especially when we're working from home so much now as well you know you're you're doing your job but you're in your home so it it can be confusing and it can be difficult to switch off so integration is really about making sure that you are being who you are being yourself when you're at work being able to have almost like a transition between being at work and being at home and how do they fit into each other so When we also talk about things like flexible working um, and, um, you know, doing maybe some working some hours in the evening or doing some hours in the morning or taking some time off during the day, integrating that in in a kind of set and healthy way is much more manageable and enjoyable for people than saying, I will work nine to five and then I will not work anymore. And it works a lot better for the employer and the employee as well, I think.
0: Have you heard, Charlotte, through the grapevine, or between (laughs) myself and yourself, because nobody's ever listened to this podcast, um, on Facebook and Twitter and all these wonderful social media platforms, do companies look at your private Facebook, Twitter accounts to see if you can integrate with a company? Or is that nonsense?
1: Yes, they do.
0: Ooh, okay, tell more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not every company, obviously. And it probably comes down to the culture as well. But there will be companies out there, particularly the bigger ones, especially um, companies that have areas um, that perhaps work in maybe security, security-clear divisions and things like that, um, or that are more public-facing and they, they will they will look through your Facebook profile, they'll look up your Instagram, they'll obviously look at your LinkedIn, but that's generally more of a professional platform anyway. Right. Um, and they they will look at you know the kinds of things that you post. And I think it's it's not generally, you know, well, how many cats has she got or like how many how many friends does she hang out with, or like has she been wearing a mask when she's been going to a restaurant, you know, that kind of thing. They're not looking at your General, essentially mundane social life. They're looking <laughs> at things like Are you posting pictures of yourself, you know, taking drugs, or are you always out on a Wednesday night getting smashed and things like that? Things that would influence them as a company or potentially their reputation or what you might be bringing to the role. Like if they think that you're going to turn up hungover every day they're probably going to have something, some kind of opinion about that.
0: So Um, could so could an individual then fake their social media to make themselves look good? I'm not saying you agree with that, but if a company was or an organization was to research your your social media profile or your previous night outs, instead of having a night out picture, you kind of put a picture with you kind of saving a lot of uh, animals from (laughs) you know, <laughs> torture or whatever it, it is 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 it recommended then just to keep the profile as kind of low-key as possible if you're looking for a job
1: i mean my recommendation would just be to keep your social media pc safe friendly um or private really right. um, but the thing to consider really is that if that if If that's the kind of thing that you're out doing, are you going to fit into that company if that's not what they like? What you have to remember is that an employment contract is a it's a two way agreement. It's you're bringing service and expertise to serve their company and they are compensating you for it. We're not living in a world where you have to have this job and they have to pay you or like they're going to get away with this. Giving you as little as possible and making you do as much as possible and things like that, you know, they should be bringing as much to the table as you are. So if your social media profile doesn't fit their culture, you probably wouldn't get on very well there anyway. What so, about the,
0: sorry, well, one, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, um, in my experience, I, I'm generally quite private when it comes to social media anyway. Um, I would just make sure that everything was private um, but it's it, it's essentially irrelevant if you're going to fit in there
0: right that's a good hint hint wink wink nudge nudge everybody <laughs> everybody go private okay and um, what about then if you don't have any social media presence whatsoever is that an issue maybe for some companies if you've no LinkedIn you've no Facebook even know no Twitter Who is this person? Is that is that a a red flag?
1: No, I wouldn't think so. I mean, unless you're going to work for a social media company or working in marketing or advertising or PR or something like that, where social media is a big part of the work, um, then they would probably want to see evidence that you know how to use it. But but again, if it doesn't influence your ability to do the role, then. I wouldn't see it making a difference, no. So don't feel, to all the listeners, don't feel like you need to create a social media account to get a job.
0: You're going to see all these lovely like kitten accounts now with dogs and <laughs> flowers and sunshine and rainbows now. Um, <laughs> just in case. What about, okay, so you've reached burnout. Um, the, I don't mean you have, but uh, a listener has reached burnout or fed up with her job. They're sicker of their employer. How do you leave a job on good terms? Or even if you leave on good terms, will there be a little bit of resentment from the employer?
1: Um. Again, it depends. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it goes back to if you're if you're leaving if you're leaving the company for the right reasons. If you're looking for something different or a new opportunity, or you want to be somewhere else. Um. If you're leaving on 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 good terms in terms of you know you haven't fallen out with anybody you haven't done anything wrong there's not been any kind of disciplinaries anything like that then there's no reason for any bridges to be burned there's no reason for it not to be on good terms but likewise if that was a consideration or a concern I would ask yourself why that matters if you're leaving a job and you have no intention of returning, what would be the implication of there being any resentment from their side? And if you are thinking about potentially returning in the future, maybe there are some other conversations that you would want to have before you go, or maybe some other options that you would want to consider.
0: Let's Charlotte, move on to the, the good stuff now, the plug. So you're a certified (laughs) life coach you're a training NLP uh, practitioner, tongue twister. And (laughs) uh, can you explain in your own words what an NLP practitioner is and how you can help somebody that gets in touch with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, and it's basically a modality that looks at the language that we use, both with other people but also with ourselves. So I do a lot of work with clients looking at, you know, the, the inner voice, the inner monologue that they have, the, the devil on their shoulder telling them that they're not good enough. And it it really addresses things like if you're saying to yourself, oh i'm no good at this or i'm rubbish at this um let's think of an example so if you were um taking piano lessons and somebody said oh you play piano and you said oh i'm not very good at it so i'm taking lessons you're you're already telling yourself you're no good you're no good whereas if you said i really love playing piano and i want to get better so i'm taking lessons you're saying to yourself i really enjoy playing the piano and so which of those do you think is going to encourage you to, to practice more, to show up to your lessons and to actually end up getting better? So that's a very kind of basic example, but neuro-linguistic programming is really um, connecting with, with the language that you're using and, and the vision that you have of yourself. So looking at, at what you want to achieve and and kind of helping you find the steps that you would take to get there. There's a lot of um, work when it comes to looking at timelines, like what does your future timeline look like and and what would your future self tell you, um, things like that. So it works really well with coaching, which is um, a slightly different modality and very much focused on um, asking questions. So the, the kind of assumption or presupposition is that everybody has the resources within them um, to, to do or to be or to have anything that they want. So when it comes to coaching, it's really about having somebody objective there with you to help you find those resources, to help you see things from a different perspective, to help you find solutions that really work for you to get you to where you want to be. So when I um, start working with clients, my main um, main product is um, a 12-week program. So at the very beginning, we spend a lot of time digging into clarity work. So really looking at what it is that they want from their career, from their life, what does success look like? What is gonna make them truly happy and truly fulfilled? and then plotting out the steps that they would need to take to get there, looking at things that are holding them back. So whether it is um, just complete burnout, whether it is a, a toxic work culture, whether it is just an underlying sense that they're not good enough, or they can't believe that they got into this position in the first place, or they don't deserve to have their voice heard in a meeting. And really digging into what those things are that are holding them back and working through them. So sometimes that is thinking about new perspectives. Sometimes it is trying different tools to, to change the communication with their um, with their colleagues or their boss at work. And sometimes it is a little bit of energy healing work. So looking at things that might have caused that, that belief um, Trauma, if you like, in, in the past, and kind of working through that so that it doesn't hold them back anymore.
0: And is there a certain amount of sessions you go through, Charlotte, with an individual, or is it just dependent on how the progress is, is going along?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. The The main program that I do is 12 weeks. So we will do six weeks um, of weekly sessions, um, which is where we do all this clarity work and, and kind of building out a strategy. And then for the second six weeks, we do fortnightly sessions. So that's a really good opportunity for people to go and implement the things that we've been talking about, start putting this strategy in place, start taking action, um, work through some exercises by themselves and and really kind of check back in and say, you know, this is working or this felt really good or I wasn't really sure about this and, and kind of tweaking things. So by the time they get to the end of the twelve weeks, they're in a much better place and feeling much more empowered for how they move forwards.
0: Uh, so, Charlotte, is your are your services uh, generally are they on uh, Zoom or are they face to face, and are they available uh, just within the UK or around the world?
1: So I do all of my coaching via Zoom, um, which means that I can work with people on a global scale, which is really exciting. So subject to finding a time that works on the time zone, I can work with people anywhere in the world.
0: And what about organisations? I mean, do you go to organisations as well? Or is that something maybe in the future that you might might look into?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. So um, some of my clients come to me um, directly and some of them come through organisations I do bespoke coaching um, programs for um, corporate companies. So um, for example, if they had a group of people that they're promoting into a leadership role, if they're creating a new leadership team, I can do courses for that individual kind of training courses, like time management and um, confidence building and things like that. So very much bespoke. Um, But my signature program, as I said, is the 12 week and that serves as just a really good introduction to coaching as well. So People, most of my clients have never worked with a coach before, probably because I generally tend to work with mid-level professionals rather than that C-suite that we were talking about. Um, The aim really being to help people build themselves and their self-confidence so that when they get to that C-suite, they are creating a much healthier culture for people around them as well. But something I've launched quite recently, actually, is a monthly coaching forum where people can join. It's about the same price as a yoga class. And it's just a 60 minute group coaching session once a month. That's a really nice, easy, fun introduction to coaching. So if you've never worked with a coach before, or you're kind of listening to this conversation and thinking that sounds interesting, but I really wouldn't know what to expect. It's a perfect introduction to just get a quick bit of help and advice Um, on whatever's bugging you at work right now.
0: That's good because I'm actually, I was about to say that if somebody was, say, apprehensive of how they, you know, they start a coaching session or a coaching program, that's a very good thing. You've just just announced. I'm actually on your website at the moment, uh, charlottecrabtree.com. And Charlotte has mentioned uh, she has a Career Transformation Accelerator, which is a 12-week one-to-one. And then there's the Action Plan Intensive as well, which is a one-to-one coaching session. Lots of information on the site. And I think you have a blog as well, is it, Charlotte? Is there a blog there? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just being really nosy here while we're on. And Mm -hmm. uh, as Charlotte mentioned, just create wild career success through self-belief, why you don't need to speak up in meetings and be valued. So there's lots of helpful uh, tips and information on uh, Charlotte's uh, website. Where else can the listeners find you on social media?
1: So you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Charlotte. Um, and obviously, I am on LinkedIn as well. So I am Charlotte Crabtree, career performance coach.
0: I'm going to tell you something, Charlotte. I asked you this question first. What, where does Crabtree come from and why we were chatting? I Googled it for you.
1: Oh, well, hey <laughs> you. <laughs>
0: so, there you go. so Crabtree <laughs> is a place name that originated in Sourbashore in the west riding of Yorkshire. It means dweller of the wild apple. And the first appearance of the surname uh, of this form is in a document occurred in the late, late 1300s. So there you go. Wow.
1: How, the ancestry.
0: <laughs> how amazing is that? Anyway, I want to thank uh, Charlotte Crabtree today for joining me on the uh, Wellbeing and Career Podcast. We'll put all the links in and the information for Charlotte's website and her social media so you can get in touch with her there. Thanks very much, Charlotte, for chatting with me today.
1: Thanks for having me.